I want to talk today a little bit about dreams. And so that's the topic of the service message this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Genesis 37. If it's okay with you, we're going to get straight into it, straight into it, Genesis 37. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can carry on sitting there guilty. <laughs> it's all right, you can, you can feel guilty. Yeah, Genesis 37. We're going to get straight into the story. We're going to look at Genesis 37 verse 2. Here we go. Joseph... A young man of 17. Who's 17 in the hall here? Just after, yeah, right, just after 16, sweet 16. There we go, 17. Great having you. But Joseph, he's 17 years old. And he was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilphah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. A little tittle tale. Does it say that in your Bible, Colin? That phrase in there, it's lost in translation. Joseph's a little tittle tale. He's come up to his dad. Daddy, dad, telling on my brothers they've done something. So he's giving his dad a bad report. Now Israel, that's Joseph's dad. He loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he'd made an ornate robe for his son Joseph. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. And could not speak a kind word to him. But Joseph had a dream. He had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field. When suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. While your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to mine. His brothers said to him, you are an idiot. Does it say that in your Bible? But it says it in mine, NRV. You are an idiot. It's a joke. Do you, do, you're an idiot. Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. He made the same mistake again. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. For those of you who don't know, he had 11 brothers, 11 stars bowing down to him. When he told his father this as well, can you believe it? He tells his dad as well. About this, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream? What is this dream that you had? Will your mother and I actually, with your brothers, bow down and come to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in hand. And so Joseph has a dream. He has a dream about the future. All dreams that we have are about the future. Joseph, friends, he's a dreamer. And sometimes we have dreams that are our own man-made dreams, but there's often dreams that we have that are God-inspired, God-made dreams for your life and for my life. And when I say dreams, I don't just mean the literal dreams that you have when you go horizontal and you fall asleep within 10 seconds and you start dreaming. I'm not just talking about those dreams. I'm talking about a dream that you have for your life in your mind or in your imagination, Something about your life that you think you, you can achieve or a desire deep down inside of your gut that just comes up over and over and over again about your life and, and your future. Maybe it's a hunger that you desire for your career or a goal that you have perhaps or, 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 or a marriage or, or a family. Maybe it's a dream or a desire of yours to move to another city. And so friends, maybe your dream is even to join and do something in the family of God, impact people around you, 
like Jack's dream is busy becoming. Or maybe this is it. Maybe you want to see your workplace change. Because you're looking at your colleagues and the way that people are working around you and they're just not feeling like they're adding value. They're just not feeling like they're meant to be part of this organization that you're with. And they could be so much more productive. And you have a dream to see your, your colleagues just work in better working in conditions. This is a big one. Maybe you've got a dream to see just injustice stop happening and, and, and for justice to be served. And you see people being treated unfairly. I'm sure every single one of us have got a dream. Every single one of us, and maybe you're sitting there, and your dream has just been poured over with rubble of doubt and discouragement and despair. But I bet, I bet that dream is still there. Friends, dreams play a a key role in our lives. If you stop dreaming, you're going to die. No dream, no life. And dreams are one of the ways that God speaks to you and I. Way, one of the ways God speaks through, through maybe a, a dream or a vision. And without a dream, you're going to just wander around in circles. Your life's not going to go anywhere. A dream is like a garment, like a map, like a road map to show you which direction you're going to end up living in. And here's the problem now. Because you have a dream, and, and in between the dream and the reality, there's this big space. This big emptiness, this big time period. And so that's what I want us to talk about today. This this big gap, this waiting period between the dream and the reality. And we all experience emotions when we have a dream. Emotions of anticipation. Man, this is going to happen. Emotions of hope. I, I hope this happens. I really sense it could be something of God and I've got faith. And I'm going to be patient. And then time goes by and you lose hope. You become discouraged. You start feeling impatient. You start feeling confused. And then maybe after that, these emotions flow over into becoming angry and and bitter because that dream hasn't taken place. You know what? I think we've got this story in the Bible about Joseph, friends. Because I believe God's put it in his word to help us. To show us how to live in the gap. How to live in this confused state waiting between the dream and the reality. And, and for Joseph and for you and for me, it's not a straight line from the dream to the reality. It's like a zigzag. And I'll take two steps forward and then I'll take three back. And then I'll take another forward and I'll take two steps back. It's this wavy zigzag process to seeing that become a reality. And so today we don't have time to read the whole big story about Joseph's life. We're going to do a bit of speed reading here. And so stay with me, keep your Bible open or that app on your phone as we go through Joseph's story, just highlighting one or two aspects. Are you with me? Let's look at chapter 37, verse 12. Carry on reading there. Let's go. His brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, that's Joseph's dad, he says to Joseph, I'm going to send you to them. He's going to send Joseph to his brothers. If I was speaking at another church, I'd have to say brothers, but this is Benoni, so it's brothers. He sends Joseph to his brothers in the language that we know in Benoni. But they saw him in a distance coming, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that. What are they saying? What does it say in your Bible? What do they say about their brother? Here comes that dreamer. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. That's Joseph's identity. He's a dreamer. And he's got this call on his life, and suddenly, just like that, it's about to change. Has that ever happened to you? 
got this dream for your life. Suddenly, just like that, things change. I heard a story of a, a wife and a mom on Monday night this past week. She sat down with her husband having dinner. He lit the candles, which doesn't often happen over the dinner table. And suddenly, just like that, things changed. Her dream was shattered. Ever happened to you? Just like that, things are about to change for Joseph. Come now, they said to each other. Let's kill him and throw him into one of, this, one of these cisterns. I think in my imagination, maybe it's a septic tank that they're going to throw him into. And let's just say that a very ferocious animal, I like that word in my Bible, ferocious, describes. A ferocious animal devoured our brother. Then we will see what will come of his dreams. Then we're going to put an end to his dreams. Then we're going to put his dreams six foot under the ground. You've got to remember, friends, that there will always be somebody and there will always be something that will try and put your dreams six foot under the ground. Always. No matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, there will always be someone trying to put your dreams or somebody putting your dreams six foot under the ground. Maybe you've dreamt of a life, this perfect white picket fence life, being married with kids, his car, her car, and it doesn't happen. Maybe you've dreamt of having a great marriage. You look at that couple and think, wow, they've got a great marriage. Why, why don't I have a marriage like that? Maybe in a situation in your career, through one meeting in the boardroom that you were part of or not, one moment suddenly your dreams are shattered. Something that's changed your dreams just like that. There will always be something. Verse 21. When Reuben, this is one of Joseph's brothers, when he heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the septic tank in the wilderness, but they don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. Friends, that robe was a symbol of things to come. That robe was the beginning of Joseph's dream. But they stripped him. They took that robe off of him, that ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern, the cistern that was empty, no water in it. I guess it's a bit of a smelly septic tank. They throw him into that. And as they sat down to eat their meal, notice here, friends, there's no remorse. There's no shame. There's no guilt here in his brothers. They sit down now. Their lives carry on. They eat. They looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with Robertson's spices. You like that? Ingram's cream and Jimmy Choo. I heard about that. And they were on their way to take them down, their spices and Ingram's cream and Jimmy Choo down to Egypt. Judah. Another brother of Joseph's, he's the entrepreneur. This is what he says. What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our own brother. He's our own flesh and blood. Let's not kill him. And so his brothers agree. So when the Midianite merchants came, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the septic tank and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. It's nothing to the Ishmaelites who took him down to Egypt. This is pause here. You've got to get this, friends. Joseph, he's fresh off a dream. The beginning, there's all sorts of hope inside of him. And immediately, he's stripped of his robe, of his dream, and he gets sent as a slave to Egypt. In the dream, remember, we said in this dream, we realize he's going to be the one. He's going to be the ruler. People are going to bow down to Joseph. And now, the exact opposite. People, are, are, he's serving and ruling, and people are ruling over Joseph's life. He's the one bowing down to people. 
The exact opposite in his dream. And then to make matters worse, he's working in Potiphar's house and he has this run-in with Potiphar's wife and he gets put into prison for something that he's not guilty of and he goes to jail for years for something that he's not guilty of doing. Let's jump to chapter 40. He's in prison now and sometime later, it says the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. I wonder what the cupbearer and the baker man did to offend Pharaoh, their boss. Maybe the cupbearer, the cappuccino guy, didn't froth the milk properly for the king, and Pharaoh was offended by that. Maybe the baker man, maybe he baked chock chip muffins that morning, and Pharaoh wanted triple chock chip muffins, because those are the proper ones. And so they offend Pharaoh, and he's a little bit upset. Verse 2, Pharaoh was angry now with his two officials. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Is that coincidence? That that they land up in the same prison? No. Where's Denzel? Denzel, we spoke on Friday night, but we said that in God's vocabulary, there's no such thing as coincidence. And it's not coincidental now that Joseph's in the same prison as the cappuccino man and the baker man. And let's find out what happens. They both have a dream. And on the same night, the dreams are different. And, and let's look at verse 6. When Joseph came to them the next morning, the cappuccino man and the, cup, and the baker man, he saw that they were dejected. So he asks them, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Joseph still knows dreams are used by God. He still has this in his mind. He says, tell me. Your dreams. And the story goes on. The cupbearer and the baker man, they tell Joseph their dreams. And Joseph interprets their dreams. And for those of you who know the story, what happens? Their dreams are fulfilled. Their dreams become a reality. How, how long does it take? Quick. Same week. Thursday. Bam. Their dreams are fulfilled. And Joseph is able to interpret other people's dreams about their lives. And his own dreams are not fulfilled. How's it going to make you feel? How's that going to make you feel if you so desperately want to get married and you feel like you've been left on the shelf? Everyone else is getting married and not you. How's it going to make you feel as a, as a businessman when you see his business flying and you're busy with month end now this week and you see again after four or five months, I, I might be running at a loss again. My dreams are not being fulfilled, but everyone else's dreams are being fulfilled. How's it going to make you feel? Man, how, how must Joseph have felt there? And so years go by as, as he's interpreted the, the baker man and the cappuccino man's dreams. And then skip down to chapter 41. When two full years had passed. We'll come back to that one line. A two full years passed between the cappuccino man and the, and the baker man having their dream. Now suddenly Pharaoh has a dream. Everyone's having dreams. And Pharaoh has a dream. Let's, let's listen, listen quickly to Pharaoh's wacky Wednesday dream. He has a dream that seven cows come out of the Nile River. And then seven other cows come out of the Nile River. And they eat these nice cows that have come out. And then he wakes up and, and he doesn't understand. He tosses and he turns and he goes back to sleep. And then Pharaoh has this other dream. And then at four o'clock in the morning, the alarm goes off and he wakes up miff. He wakes up but But miff, it says it, verse 8 of chapter where we chapter 41, it says, In the morning now, Pharaoh's mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men. 
Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cup bearer, remember him? Then the cappuccino man, the guy that Joseph interpreted his dreams. Then he says to Pharaoh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was angry with me and he imprisoned me and these other servants and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there. Remember, notice friends, he can't even remember Joseph's name. But he remembers suddenly there was a guy, there was a young Hebrew guy there that interpreted my dream. You know friends, you know what I think happened? God sparked in this young cupbearer, cappuccino man's life. He sparked that thought. I remember that Hebrew guy. I remember him. God does that. God sparks an idea or a thought in your mind when you're driving on the highway and you see a sign that reminds you of somebody. What are you going to do with that? When you're watching a movie or you're listening to a song and you think of somebody, could that maybe not be God planting a seed in your mind, making you think of that person? What are you going to do with that thought? Are you going to pray for that person when you think of that person driving on the highway? Are you going to send that person a, a WhatsApp of encouragement? Friends, I want us at Freedom Church to be cappuccino people like this cupbearer. I want us to go and be a blessing and, and fulfill and play a role in using God's dream become a reality. That's what the cappuccino man did here. He started something here by talking to Pharaoh. Let's do something with that thought that God puts in our mind, guys. Let's play a role. Verse 14. So Pharaoh, he sends for Joseph now and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. Notice, in one moment, one moment, things are about to change here. It says, when he had shaved. Why does the Bible say that? The Bible's great. Eh? So I don't think beards are biblical, but tell my wife over a cappuccino afterwards, Jason, beards are not biblical. It says so in the Bible. Except for the Hebrew men. They say that in the Bible times, Hebrew men grew beards. And so Rudy at the back, 31.3, you can grow a beard, but because Hebrews. It's my wife's joke. It's pretty good. You're laughing at my wife's joke. You're not laughing at my, at my jokes today. What the heck? So, so this guy now quickly shaves and he changes his clothes and he comes before Pharaoh. And so verse, uh, look at there, I don't know what verse it is. Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard that you, Joseph, when you hear a dream, Joseph, you can interpret it. And so Joseph says, what? He says, I cannot do it, Joseph replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Wow, Joseph's changed here, friends. Joseph started out as this young, arrogant, tittle-tailed little boy, and he's changed. He says, I can't do it. God can do it. And so the story goes on. Look how humble Joseph has become as he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. Skip down to verse 39 for me there. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Notice who Joseph has become, friends. He's not this little tittle-tail, humble, um, uh, arrogant, stupid kid. He wasn't the sharpest tool in the, in, in, the, in the shed. But somehow he's changed. Notice the wisdom now, his brilliant mind, his intelligence. Joseph has changed in this story. You, Pharaoh says, shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Now this is the turning point in the story, friends. Now the slave 
is about to become a ruler. This is the first glimmer of hope that Joseph has in his dream. And, and how would you feel? Maybe Joseph is thinking, no, it, it, there's been too much pain and heartache over the years. God, it can't be possible. Maybe Joseph is thinking, is this it? Is my dream about to become a reality? I don't know. I don't know what Joseph's thinking, but this is the beginning. This is when things are starting to change here. But he still hasn't seen his brothers in over 10 years. 10 years have gone by. Let's go to chapter 42 and verse 1. Please stay with me just a few more minutes. There's this massive famine in the land now. And Joseph, he has a, a God brainwave idea. Let's store and stockpile grain in Egypt so that we can survive through this famine. And, Jake, and Jacob, Joseph's dad, looks at his other sons and he's frustrated because they're just sitting around. They're not using their initiative and he gets frustrated with them. And so he says to his other sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? And so he sends his sons to go to Egypt to buy some grain. And guess, guess who is in charge? Joseph, verse 6. Joseph was the governor of the land, the ruler of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when, brother, when Joseph's brothers arrived, they what? What does it say there? They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Keep reading. It gets much better here. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger. And he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And then listen here. Pay, pay close attention to this, friends. Look at this. It says here, then he remembered his dreams about them. Something right there clicks on the inside of Joseph deep down. Then he remembered his dreams. But he doesn't reveal himself yet to his, to his family. The brothers go back and years later, they come back down to Egypt. Let's go to chapter 43. I'll give you four seconds to breathe. Just breathe. 43, chapter 43, verse 24. Stay with me. The steward took the men into Joseph's house and gave them water to wash their feet and provided fodder for their donkeys. These are Joseph's brothers. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they'd heard that they were to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented him the gifts they had brought him into the house. And they what? They, again, they bowed down before him to the ground. And he asked them how they were. And we read it a third time here. Look here, it says, they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. But this time, Joseph can't keep this in anymore. And the secret's going to come out. Go to chapter 45. This is the very last story we're going to read today. Stay with me. Thank you for your patience. Because, man, we're reading a lot today. But it's fun. It's a proper story, this. Chapter 45. This is the same scene. Then Joseph can't control himself any longer. Before his attendance. And he cries out, make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard all about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were not able to answer him. His brothers are thinking, what the heck? And they're trembling. With fear. They're terrified in his presence. Their little brother has grown up now and he's become the number two man in the land. Then Joseph said to his brother, brothers, come close to me. This is a goosebump moment now, friends. If you're reading this story with me for the very first time, you're lucky. 
Imagine now you're reading the story for the first time again, and you're expecting this massive scene now, like a, a, a Liam Neeson scene from Taken. That movie's proper. Mom, you haven't seen it. This guy's daughter gets kidnapped, and he says to the baddies, give my daughter back or I'm going to kill you. And he goes after them. And, and we want to see this justice now take place. And this is what you're expecting, this Liam Neeson scene. Let's go back. Carry on reading. He says to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves. Look at the compassion in this guy's heart, man. Oh, my word. Joseph's changed your friends. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was to save lives that God sent me. Ahead of you, verse 6, for two years now there's been no famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And the story goes on. What a great story, eh? Amazing story about Joseph. Thank you for your patience because I've been doing some speed reading today. So forgive me for that, friends. But there's so much we can learn from Joseph's life and his story. And there's just four points that I want us to take home today. Four quick points, and then we are going to have a cappuccino at 31.3. Four things happen when this dream comes to pass. Number one, things are different. This dream is different. Number two, it's harder. This dream is way harder than Joseph imagined. Number three, it's longer. Way, way, way longer than he thought. And number four, the dream He's better. And I know that sounds like a Nike World Cup soccer ad, but I believe it's the phrase, the, the foundation of a preach today around Joseph's life. Number one, it's different. You see, in the beginning, Joseph had a dream. And it was an amazing dream of his brothers and his dad and his mom bowing down to him. But in that dream, he didn't see the fact that he was going to be thrown into that stinky septic tank in the wilderness. He didn't see that he was going to be sold as a slave and go to Egypt. He didn't see the fact that he was going to have this run-in with Potiphar's wife. And in this dream, there's whole chunks that are left out. I wonder why God left out those chunks in the dream. Because I think if it was me, if I was Joseph, I wouldn't sign up for that dream. I, I wouldn't see the years of pain and heartache that was before me. And that's exactly what, what a dream is all about, friends. A dream, God gives us a dream and he points us into a direction, but he doesn't show us what's going to happen on that Friday afternoon in the middle of nowhere. A, a, a dream doesn't, the point of a dream is not to, not to show us the future. The point of a dream is to show us how to live today. How to live today. That's the point and the purpose of a dream. How to live in the present and, and just to say, okay, focus on today, Daryl. This is what I've got to do today. And when the dream becomes a reality, it's usually way different to the way I pictured it to be. God gives us 10%. He gives us 10%. And you know what I do? I don't know if I'm the only one in the hall who does this, but I fill up the other 90% with my own dumb, stupid thoughts. Freedom Church, let's today... Challenge each other to take the 10% of the dream that God gives us and trust him with the other 90%. Trust him with the other 90% of what he's doing. When your bond doesn't get approved, but, and that's not the house that God got planned for you. Trust him. Trust him. 
Number one, I've learned, and I've learned the hard way. It's tough that the reality looks very different to the dream that I have for my life. Number one, it's different. Number two, it's harder. You're going to love this. It's harder, friends. Joseph, he sees a picture of his family bowing down to him. And then he sees all of the good that comes out of the dream. He doesn't see the bad. He doesn't see any of the bad, only the good. He's got this romantic vision of his life and his future. And I think God protected or maybe held back the bad stuff because it would have crushed him, as I said earlier. Nine times out of the ten, my dream for my life is this romantic ending. It's like a summer night movie where I ride off on a horse with a woman and I get married and enjoy the rest of my life. Eh? Is that your dream as well? There's, there's, there's no tough times in it. Marriage is a great example of this. Eh? Yeah, Vince the Prince. My mate, he's just got married. He came back from honeymoon. They went to Cancun. Lovely having you here, bud. And, he, and his wife, a couple months, yeah, she's just put, his, put her, her head on his shoulder. I checked that happened. Because you guys are in love, bud. And your dream is going to go, and you're going to drive off into the night in that nice BM, riding your bikes, doing a few Ironmans. Yeah, I've got news for you, bud. <laughs> I have, bud. It's not going to be that way, bud. Because you know what? For those of us who are married... Man, I, I think we go, we go into, into marriage with such high expectations that are totally unrealistic. And I'm speaking from 19 years of experience. And I can because my wife will agree. You can ask her. It's, it's, it's tough. We, we have a dream, but it's tough. And, and so I want us to realize today, friends, when we dream, and, and please dream, please dream for your life. But when you dream, you've got to be realistic knowing it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And we've got to have hope. But we've got to have hope We're standing with both feet on the ground, not living this life of everything's going to be perfect in that summer night movie ending. Number one, it's going to be different. Number two, it's going to be harder. Absolutely, it's going to be a lot harder. And number three, it's going to be longer. Oh man, I hate waiting. The commentators tell us that from Joseph having the dream to it becoming a reality, guess how long? Guess how many months? Guess how many years? 22 years. It's a long time. Some of you are not even 22 years old yet. He's 17 when he has this dream. And then he's 30 when he becomes ruler of Egypt. And then another nine years go by until his brothers come down from Canaan to Egypt. So we're guessing about 22 years take place. It's a very long time, eh? And you and I have a dream for our lives. I've got a dream for my life. And I sit down and I say, God, if this is a God-given dream that you've planted in my life and not my own dream, then I'm up for it. So how about next week, Thursday? (laughs) Yeah. I joke with couples that are engaged because when I hear they're engaged, I'm like, hey, I'll marry you next week, Thursday. And it doesn't happen like that, friends. Time. They say, as a general rule, the bigger the dream, the longer the wait. Smaller the dream, the smaller the wait. Big dream, big wait. Small dream, small wait. And wherever your dream fits into that scale, friends, the, the waiting period is always longer than what I want. There's that one line that I touched on in chapter 41. Remember it says there two full years had passed. From when the baker man can and the cappuccino man, when they have their dream to Pharaoh, Joseph sitting there in prison. Nothing. 
not a word from God. He's just carrying on. Days go by, weeks go by, months go by, years, two years go by. Nothing. Waiting's hard, eh? I hate it. And I look at some of you sitting here who I've had the privilege of being part of your story. And I see you waiting and waiting and waiting for that dream to take place. And and I've been praying this prayer with you, for you, when I think of you. And I think I've been praying the wrong prayer. Because I look at a mate and I look at his situation. I'm saying, God, speed up the process. Speed it up. Make it happen faster. And, And I think God is saying no. And I'm like, speed it up. And God says no, because at the appointed time, it'll happen. There's that phrase in the Bible. We read it over and over and over again. At the appointed time, that dream will be fulfilled. And so I think I've been praying the wrong prayer. Sorry for you. I'm changing this prayer. You know what I'm going to be praying for you who are awaiting in this period? I'm going to say, God, give them faith. Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, God give them faith. God give them patience as they wait for you. Give them faith knowing that if it's a God-given dream, at the appointed time, it'll become a reality. God, help that person not to give up. Help that person as they follow you on this road, God, not to say, I'm done, I've tried, and go back to this old fleshly, wayward, worldly living, going back to the world, back to their old ways. Help them to carry on living in faith. Faith, patience, and there's one more I want to add there, obedience. Obedience. No, I'm, tr- I'm tired of obeying God. I'm tired of waiting. I'm going back to my old wayward life. Don't. God, please help them to carry on on this journey with faith and patience and obedience. You, you know what happens sometimes where, where tomorrow looks a bit blurry, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do tomorrow? Just obey God and do what you know you've got to do today. Today I know I've got to spend time with God and I've got to make sure that my thought life is pure and I've got to make sure that I'm treating people around me the way God wants me to just today. Do what you, you, do what you know and in time you'll know what to do. It's a power statement. Do what you know and in time you'll know what to do. Just rewind. Go and do the last thing that God has told you to do. Just obey him in the last thing that he said you need to do. And so as we look at this, this gap between the dream and the reality, if your dream is from God, and not all of our dreams are, some of them are our own man-made dreams, but if that dream is from God at the appointed time, it'll become a reality. And finally, when that dream does become a reality, it's better. It's different, it's harder, and it is longer, but it's better. Not necessarily from a human point of view. If we think of Joseph's story, friends, Joseph's story had pride in the beginning. Pride was written all over that story. God had to do something in Joseph's life, in his heart. He had to deal with Joseph's ego. He had to deal with with Joseph's idolatry. God takes that dream that we all have, that's got our own glory, and and he, he, he works it down to the very core. And my own glory and your own glory and pride doesn't last 22 years. Gets broken down to the core of what that dream is really all about. We see that happen in Joseph's life, friends. I want to say to you today, don't let that dream become your God. Don't let the dream become your God. And we do that. And we put God out of the picture. 
I want to say this to you, friends. Don't live for the dream. Live for the dream giver. It's a big difference there, friends. Live for the dream giver. And, 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 it's, and it's amazing to have hope and, and say, God, this is what I sense you've destined for me. It's a God dream. But even if it doesn't happen, it's okay. Because I have the dream giver. And my relationship with the dream giver far outweighs the dream. The dream will never, will never fulfill you. The dream will never complete you. The dream giver will complete you and fulfill you. And I sense today there's all different types of people in the hall sitting here. I sense today there are people sitting here who, who you have never met the dream giver. You've never asked the Lord to be Lord of your life. You've never said, I want to have your Holy Spirit living inside of me so that I can understand it and start realizing the dreams that you have for me, God. You've never accepted. You've never asked the dream giver to be Lord of your life. I sense there are people here today who need to ask the dream giver to be Lord of their life. I think there are others here today, I'm pretty sure, there are others that have stopped dreaming. You've become discouraged. My dream's never going to be fulfilled. Start dreaming again. Start dreaming not your own man-made dreams. Start dreaming your God dreams that God has planted on the inside of your life. Because while I've been speaking, something's been tugging at your heart. The Holy Spirit's been nagging. He's been rekindling that dream that he has for you. Start dreaming again. And I guess for all of us sitting here in the hall, we all have a dream. And the challenge for me and for you is to trust the dream giver. That at the appointed time, when I have faith and when I am patient and when I obey, at the appointed time, that dream will become a reality. Trusting him. You know, friends, trust, trust is active. It's not passive. Trust is not sitting around watching Netflix because Faber has hit the streets of Benoni. That's not trust. Trust is active. Trust is waiting with hope and anticipation and faith. Living today because of the dream that God has put in my life. In Jesus' name. 